Creating Cyberspace, and welcome to episode 39 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian Angelo. Angelo, I want to start things off by wishing you a happy new year. Happy new year, Angelo. Happy new year again, Brian. This is the third time. How's 2018 treating you? Pretty good. Uh, so is this going to be an ongoing thing where you ask me and uh, wish me a happy new year and how my 2018 is going? Oh, for sure. It's like Groundhog's Day, but weirder. So it's going to go into uh, July, I think. Oh, at the very least, for sure, if not August or September. Like, we got to keep the train going. So in December of 2018, you'll be asking me how my 2018 is going. Well, that's the plan, really, yeah. All right. I'm, I'm good with it. I, uh, I look forward to hearing about this every week. Great. Let's kick things off with some listener emails. So I got an email from our devoted listener, Bruno D., with regards to our 33rd episode uh, where we talked about the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, I remember that. So Bruno writes, I'm listening to your Ark of the Covenant podcast. The Ark contained the second set of tablets. The first were destroyed. Aaron's staff and mana from heaven. Ark of the Covenant is mentioned in the book of Revelations. My personal theory is that it was brought up to heaven at one point. The Ark was also in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in the temples, the inner intersection. It was only visited once by the high priest a year. And if he messed up, he died and was pulled out by a rope at his foot. <laughs> the craziest theory I've ever heard involves it being the ground under where Jesus was crucified and his blood went through the earth to land on the top portion of the box. But I've heard the weapon theory, especially with what happened with the walls of Jericho. So, hey, good to know that we're not alone in our th- theory of uh, weaponizing the Ark of the Covenant. He's got quite a few theories going there, though. Um, I, I especially like the thing where the priest goes in. If he screws up, he gets pulled out by a rope. Nothing like having a little performance anxiety there. Yeah, it's like giving them the hook. <laughs> yeah, but a much more lethal form of it. Yes, you're dead. <laughs> exactly. Cause of death? Death. Yep. Once again, if you want to email us, doubledensitypodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on facebook.com slash doubledensity. Same thing on Instagram. And if you want to tweet at us, double underscore density, we'd love to hear from you. We always do. I think tonight's going to be a bit of a shorter episode compared to last week's marathon. And I wanted to ask you, how was it at editing a much longer than usual episode? It was it was kind of okay. I kind of... Um, I didn't zone out, but I wasn't necessarily like uh, dreading it as much as I do something. Well, not dread, but I mean, like sometimes it does actually feel like work. And last week's episode actually flowed so well that there's very uh, little editing to be done in the end. So it actually worked out quite well. And it, was, it was very fast, uh, actually, kind of surprisingly so. Our, our guest Rob's always uh, fun to talk to, and that's what makes it flow. Like we seem to all have a good rapport with each other. So I think it kind of turns into a show that ends up not being too arduous because there was not much you had to actually cut out right except mostly laughter because we laugh so much it was a lot of laughter and i cut out one short segment i can't remember what it was but the kind of just straight away so we just wandered off on some tangent that i felt didn't work out and if you didn't notice then that's even better yeah i don't remember noticing i just saw there was like an hour and 45 minutes long so i hope our listeners enjoyed that uh, extra long episode it won't happen too often that we have episodes that go over an hour but um, I think if we have guests on, it'll probably be more common than not. Because once you have like a third or fourth person talking, you kind of all want to get your points out. So it kind of makes the podcast a little longer. But I think people enjoy the occasional long podcast. I know I do. And we're back to business this week with the two-man podcast here. Yeah. And um, so talking about editing, um, we've talked about it before, but I've been editing more and more. I think I've, what, two whole episodes under my belt? <laughs> yeah, two or three. <laughs> And uh, I think you're liking not having to think about editing the show all the time. And, I, and I'm actually really enjoying the whole editing process. 
Yeah, for me, what it is sometimes, unfortunately, is it does feel like a bit of work because every week I recording the podcast is only a small section of the entire of the podcast between research and editing. So it it can get cumbersome. It can get up to like, you know, like eight to 10 hours total of of work to do. And I, I don't mind doing it, but sometimes it's just nice not to have to sort of uh, uh, do it all in one shot over and over and over. And I'm really thankful that you've decided to take things on. And uh, so new you, uh, new year, uh, new software for you. Yeah. So I was using GarageBand. I've I've used GarageBand for for a long time. Uh, in the early 2000s, I used it to record some music, and uh, I outgrew it relatively quickly, and then switched to software called Logic Express. So back in the early 2000s, Logic was Logic Pro anyway was extraordinarily expensive. It was eight or nine hundred dollars, if not more. But uh, working at a university and also being a student at the same time, I had access to the educational discount on Logic Express, which only cost, I think, I think it was about a hundred bucks, which was totally reasonable for me as a, as a kid in my early twenties to uh, be able to buy. And I, I use that quite a bit. And now uh, fast forward to 2018, where I'm using GarageBand not to edit music, but to uh, work on my podcast with my good friend, Brian Hasty. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, very simply, Brian Hasty, Brian with an I, H-E-S-T-I-E, and yours is Angelo? Angelo Fiorin. There we go. Uh, see, look, I'm getting good at throwing in the socials from time to time. So I went to, I decided to kind of look into getting Logic because Logic Pro 10 is a lot cheaper than the old Logic Pros, and uh, I picked it up. Uh, mainly for a few features. I'm not going to use most of the stuff that Logic Pro 10 ha- has for music for podcasting. I will use it for music, though, because I still do like um, recording some music from time to time. Editing with uh, GarageBand takes a little bit longer because you don't have uh, a very specific feature that Logic Pro has called Strip Silence, basically removing all the spots where one of us is not talking, making it a lot easier to edit the chunks that remain. So like if there's any uh, any crosstalk or whatever, I can easily kind of split that apart and make it sound uh, pretty good. So I'm pretty excited to start recording and uh, start editing in Logic, which I'll be doing with this episode. So if it sounds like garbage, let me know. It's my fault, not Brian's. Yeah, as always, you can uh, tweet at him at Angelo Furin. Let him know about your anger. <laughs> yeah, please let me know. But um, actually, the podcaster I heard all this stuff from about how great logic was and a step up in efficiency was Jason Snell, who this week on his um, Six Colors blog website, uh, sixcolors.com, and actually you can spell Six Colors the Canadian, British, or American way, so they'll all lead to the same place. He actually had a really interesting article about going back in time and looking at his old uh, floppy disks and actually getting the data off of them onto his current Macs, which is kind of interesting thinking that it's kind of hard to come across Apple IIs at this point, which is what these disks were from. And I kind of thought it was funny because obviously it's our uh, show artwork and I kind of like the look of the old diskettes. So uh, I put the uh, link to that article in the show notes, but it's interesting to see that 20, 30 years later, so these are from 1988, these disks, he was able to actually read them, get the data off of them, and put them on his Mac. And the whole process is really interesting. He actually needed a monitor, and he didn't have one that could actually accept the outs of the Apple IIc. And he plugged it into a camcorder, 
and use that as the monitor, which is kind oh, of there you go. Yeah. Here's a question for you. Uh, is Jason Snell a tech enthusiast or a hoarder? <laughs> no, he's actually not a hoarder, I don't think. But uh, he, if you read his article, he did carry these boxes of discs with him from uh, many different places up to his current house that he's been there for See, a See, that's days. the kind of thing that a hoarder would say. Okay, but look. Look at how many discs there are. There are really not that many. So uh, do not speak ill of one of my favorite podcasters. Thank you very much. And oh. <laughs> so what the anger is flowing early tonight, I see. Geez, yeah. Well, so what I was going to ask you, though, uh, before you, you preemptively called me a hoarder, uh, is do you have any diskettes uh, from the past? Because I know I have some at my parents' not house. Anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. No, those got tossed when we moved in 98. Well, what if there was some gem in there of something you really wanted to, to go back and look at? <laughs> like some shareware game? Like yeah. some CGA shareware game? No, I doubt it. Commander Anything? Uh, no, it, that was on CD for me, actually. Interestingly enough, I had a shareware CD that I think got thrown out. Oh. I'm not as romantic about most of my tech as some people are, unfortunately slash fortunately. So um, while I have loved and lost, I uh, don't lament for it as much as some people do. I remember getting my first PC like in the 90s and uh, the person who, who sold it to us gave us like the discs that came with it. And he's like, do not lose these discs. If you lose them, you'll never be able to turn your computer back on if something bad happens. So I think even back then I had it like implanted in my head that backing things up was really important. And I never used those discs ever. I have no idea where they are. Uh, I'm not sure if they're in the box of diskettes I know are at my parents' house. They might be, but I think those were later diskettes. And uh-huh. yeah, I, I, I'm not believing this. You think I have them documented on a uh, spreadsheet uh, somewhere? A man told you not to let go of something. You definitely have them taped to like uh, the back of a picture or something in your home. I, look, I kind of know where they are, but uh, <laughs> I don't think that I still have those really old ones. It's just kind of interesting to think that... Uh, whole operating systems fit on three and a half inch floppies or five and a quarter inch. It's uh, to think that the first Mac you actually put in one disc and every disc. So let's say you had Mac write or Microsoft Word or whatever you put that in. That disc didn't only have the program you're going to use. It had the entire operating system of the whole computer in there. It's kind of incredible to think how we move from there to uh, the idea of a floppy disk being symbolic, right? So not... Everyone knows what a floppy disk uh, looks like or uh, why it is uh, a placeholder or a symbol of the save function. So there's this apocryphal story of somebody being told by a younger uh, a younger kid, somebody from an earlier generation, asking why they have a 3D printed save button. And I don't think it's true. I think it's uh, it's fake. And there's an article on The Verge from early, uh, from late last year talking about how it's not a real thing that nobody would ever say this but i wonder maybe there's somebody thinking that's like not a real thing and it's just a a 3d printed save button they look the same and nobody born after like 2000 has ever even used it and all people born after 2000 well and starting as as of the year 2000 people born then are like 18 years old now and they're adults and they've never really used the diskette because they never really needed one that's right they've always uh, they're well accustomed to both uh, saving stuff on actual hard drives uh, and shared spaces as well as usb keys more or less interestingly the day we're recording this is the 10th anniversary of the macbook air which was the first apple computer or any computer i think that totally got rid of optical media like nothing it was just a computer with a usb uh 
drive input, no USB input, and that's it. There was nothing else really that you could put into this computer. So they they started ten years ago, and when was the last time you used a disc of any kind? Uh, last week, actually. Well, why do you ruin things like that, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we bought a stack of CDRs to make uh, mix CDs, and I was uh, trying one out. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think you have one one of the few Macs in existence that have a CD drive, right? Yeah, well, one of the older ones. I have a mid twenty twelve uh, MacBook Pro. Yeah, that has uh, still has its CD and yeah. DVD drive intact. Your, yours is the first, the, the last one before they they totally moved to the solid uh, aluminum body. I think. Yeah, but that's the thing. I remember when my computer, every subsequent computer I got, had a much bigger hard drive. And then with this current iMac I'm using, the hard drive actually went down in size because I opted for a 256 gig SSD, which totally meets my needs because I don't really keep media on my computer. And um, I am looking at getting uh, one of those fancy T5 Samsung external SSDs, which are pretty amazing because they're silent and really fast. Um, Because that's the thing, I don't keep any hard drives connected to my uh, iMac uh, and leave them on because I find they're noisy. It's it's funny when the hard drives are noisier than the fan for my actual computer. And that's the thing, too, is I have a three or four uh, terabyte hard drive here. It's a, it's not a solid state, unfortunately. Uh, so I don't actually leave it plugged in most of the time. And it's it's places where I put, you know, media or backup uh, of this show, actually. So uh, it's a great uh, thing to have if you're planning on occasionally plugging into your uh, PC or Mac and sort of extracting the things you need to extract from it. That's exactly why I have them too. They're all there. I have three hard drives on my desk. Yes, they're backups. Okay, I know. Filled uh, with pictures. Filled with pictures and uh, actually old episodes of this podcast because I keep those as well, uh, just in case. But uh, whenever I'm working on something, I'll work off my Mac's hard drive and then move over to the um, to the external hard drives when I'm done with it. And so your your gigabytes and gigabytes of ASCII art are all saved on a hard drive somewhere. How much ASCII art would be like in one gigabyte? Because that's like nothing. Oh, dude, dude, that'd be so much. I couldn't even start to do the math on how many drawings that would be. That's the entire like uh, library of the world on one gigabyte. Yeah, pretty much. Because they in don't ASCII take form. Up, yeah, they don't take up any space. Just a picture of everything. Just compile all the world's art in ASCII form and put it on a hard drive. I think we've solved the world issue here. We can get going. I think the podcast needs to end now. I think we're done. Maybe we could just end the text section for now and move on to the paranormal. What do you think? Yeah, let's do that. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal. A quick note first. Angela, we have podcasting friends, right? We do have podcasting friends. And uh, recently I was listening to one of our friends, TJ, who hosts the Pints and Puzzles podcast. And I was crossing the street. And while listening to his podcast our theme music came on and I'd completely forgotten that uh, we had sent him our promo and uh, we were going to play his and we're going to be playing it right now. What's the podcast? Play me a podcast. Hey guys, it's TJ from the Pints and Puzzles podcast. You're missing to my dad. We explore some of the strange, unusual, and often obscure cases throughout history. But did I mention there's craft beer reviews? My dad's show is the best. Come give us a listen on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. So we highly encourage you to go check out Pints and Puzzles. It's a lot of fun. He talks about some weird stuff, and then he also talks about beer. 
So this has been a weird week for you, Angelo. Uh, uh, personally speaking, I guess, uh, you've had a couple of interesting coincidences happen to you. Some really weird stuff. And look, I'm not a firm believer in any meaning to be caught of these, but it was a couple of weird coincidences. So the first one, I was watching a couple of things on Netflix, and both of them quoted the same passage from the book of Revelation about Wormwood, the asteroid that hits the Earth. So um, obviously one is the show Wormwood, because that's pretty obvious. And the other one is this show called um, Salvation, where an asteroid is headed for the Earth. So is this a prophecy that we are going to be hit by an asteroid uh, soon? What do you think? Am I clairvoyant? I really, one, I hope you're not. And two, uh, what is clairvoyance anyways? Just an ability to peer into the future or a future, really? A future, because uh, we're, it's multidimensional, isn't it? Uh, It could be anything at any time. Just us saying something on this podcast could change. uh, What is it? It'll change the colors of a butterfly wing? No, that's not how it works. Uh, as always, if you want to give us money, we're always available for money uh, grabbing opportunities, whether it be in a burlap sack or electronically, right, Angelo? Okay, that that's abrupt, but yes. <laughs> I figure, you know, if you want to change the course of things, why not make it very blatant? Why not, you know, throw it out there? Yeah, we become rich with podcasting money, and then we change the world and prevent asteroids from hitting us. Well, there. Uh, well, that's the thing is, if you give us money, you might prevent asteroids from hitting the Earth. It's possible. Really, we're we're just uh, running our own ministry here. That sounds like a good idea. And look, so that wasn't the old only weird coincidence. So then I had some friends over recently, and uh, we were talking about Zelda and how the kids like it. And um, my friend asked about another friend of ours who actually listens to the show. And uh, she said he liked Zelda when we were kids. And I haven't, uh, if I had heard from him, I'm like, yeah, we, we, we text from time to time. And not like five minutes later, I get a text message from him asking about the Ben Drowned creepypasta, which has to do with Zelda. So both things in the same text message, him, Zelda, creepypasta, pretty weird. Is your life actually just the Truman Show? I don't know, but it it does make a case for us to do an episode about synchronicity, which I think that classifies as one. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, speaking of things that are like the Truman Show and podcasting, you put up a link on your Facebook profile to a brand new ABC show that I am not thrilled by. Oh, yeah. So this isn't in the show notes. You're kind of hitting me with this. But uh, I thought it was kind of funny because it's okay. It's about a guy who's starting a podcast. It's uh, what's his name? The guy in it? The guy from Scrubs? Zach that, Braff. Oh, yeah. So he's starting a podcast, leaving his career and there was a funny scene of him podcasting while he's in bed with his wife. And I kind of thought that was funny because my wife puts up with me podcasting in the evening where I kind of have to like send her upstairs to the bedroom. But I would never dream of like dragging my computer to the bedroom and start podcasting from there. And the show looks would pretty you dumb. Actually, would you actually call it a funny scene? Because I didn't find it funny at all. No, yeah. Well, the show looks kind of dumb. So um, it's I don't think it'll last. It's kind of silly. Watch it last for like 10 years and become the best comedy ever. But it probably will not. Yeah, two minutes into the trailer, and I was I was already done with it. So huge surprise there. You didn't even last the full two minutes and thirty seconds. Eh? I watched it, but it was a very aggravating minute and a half afterwards. Yeah, it's pretty dumb. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I do feel like perhaps you are living in a Truman Show like atmosphere, which is why I can tell where you are every night, and I can tell when you're ready to podcast. How do you do this? Through the uh, seven or eight cameras in your home. Well, that's, that's disconcerting. How do you think I know about the uh, the floppy disks? You know too much. There we go. 
but let's get into the meat and potatoes of uh, the paranormal section uh, of our podcast for this week. Uh, two very simple words, shadow people. Yeah, shadow people, we've kind of touched on them a few times. Uh, we mentioned them uh, in the episode with uh, Sam from the Not Alone podcast, and he he kind of admitted that he doesn't like them very much. And uh, they're not very likable, that's for sure, because they're creepy, shadowy figures that visit you at when you're at your most vulnerable, lying in bed, asleep. And in many cases, you can't move when you see them. But there's other things as well where people see them not while they're sleeping. So... I want to kind of look at both those types of cases because I think one is a lot more explainable than the other, if you know what I mean. So I have three uh, sort of theories about what shadow people are. but uh, And by sort of three, I mean uh, one of them kind of splinters off into uh, two different directions. Um, so I think the first thing we could start with is uh, when did you first hear about shadow people? I actually remember that pretty clearly. And it stems back to those old radio shows I used to tell, I had mentioned earlier. Um, I think it was on Strange Days Indeed, um, which is hosted, which was hosted by Errol Bruce Knapp and uh, was on a Montreal radio station, which was, and it was eventually replaced by Coast to Coast, which is another place where they've come up quite a bit. Um, but yeah, the first time I heard it, I think it was around 2002, 2003, where they're being talked on that show. And, um, kind of freaked me out because back then I really believed in uh, ghosts and demons and all that stuff like wholeheartedly where I wasn't as skeptic uh, skeptical as I am now uh, like not even close and um, the whole idea of it kind of freaked me out because I had had uh, sleep paralysis episodes and things like that so the thoughts of shadow people like haunting your 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 dreams at night kind of creeped me out that's fair, yeah. For me, I think it was an episode of Coast to Coast, yeah. Um, shadow people kind of freak me out, but I guess they don't resonate in the same way that they do with a lot of other people. Like, I just, I kind of shrug when I think of shadow people. I don't know, it's it's weird. It Because there's, they could be absolutely anything. The human mind, as much as people hate hearing this, will play tricks on you no matter what. You'll see a shadow from the corner of your eye, and that's that's the ones that kind of, I tend to... Not, I don't want to say not believe, because people will say they've seen something and they're usually sincere, but I'll shrug them off more easily as, well, it was really your mind playing tricks on you when you see something out of the corner of your eye moving. If you're thinking thinking of it, it's just something that your mind played a trick on you. The other ones, right. when you see them during sleep, well, that could be actually explained by a skeptic's best friend, sleep paralysis. <laughs> uh so let me start with my first theory which you just touched on is it, you know is it a trick of the light right so uh, a lot of shoppy, uh, shadow people reports often exist as uh, persons or not even persons but just figures that sort of resemble a person on the edge of our peripheral vision and reports state that they're often seen in this way right so um or you know there's like a certain amount of blur that obfuscates what people see when they are awake well of course because you're you're kind of you're not thinking about things and you'll, it could even just literally be a shadow in the corner of your eye and not be related to any sort of monster or creepy thing or spirit or whatever. Right. And that's the one that I think is most grounded in reality, right? Yeah, because it's, it is literally a trick of the light or um, a very brief hallucination. It could be nothing, uh, nothing out of the ordinary in my mind. 
so my second theory is one that's a little bit more out there. And, uh, you know, are they interdimensional beings? Uh, so further to that, do we all resonate at different frequencies uh, and do multiple worlds all inhabit the same physical space? Like the idea that we may share a physical space, but actually uh, they sort of bleed into ours once in a while in these very uh, lucid moments. In terms of more out there theories, this is one of my favorite things to to kind of ponder. Um, having it explain a lot of the paranormal in a more, let's say, scientific way. It's a lot of fun to think that the world is based on frequencies and everything is happening all at the same time. So in the same space where I'm at, there's another me or somebody else like me also podcasting with somebody else like you. Maybe the guy who I'm, who this guy's podcasting with doesn't have a beard, right? So it's Brian without the beard. And uh, and like he's sitting exactly where you're sitting, and sometimes something resonates incorrectly, and we'll kind of see it out of the corner of our eye, and it's like a different person. And they're not malevolent in this case. It's just resonating from one of the infinite other universes where things are just slightly off, and we don't actually see them. It's sort of like in the Matrix where there's like a glitch, although that's something completely different. I don't, I'm not saying we're in a simulation. That's another theory altogether. Yeah, not one that we're going to explore tonight. Uh, I think the way that these shadow people manifest themselves may suggest that their physical makeup is not a total image. And what I mean by that is that a number of accounts of shadow people allow us to see an outline and maybe like a distinctive feature or two, but it's not a total image. We're never given a full outline of a person, you know, hence the name of shadow person. It's kind of like when you're listening to the radio, but the radio station is very, very staticky, not clear, right? So the idea that you can kind of make things out, but there's not that that clarity that allows you to see the full um, three dimensions as well as features of a person. Interesting. It's sort of like a uh, in-person EVP. Yeah, a little bit. That's actually a really good way of, of putting it. But yeah, it's just like this really weird thing where it's like a, a, an echo or maybe like a distant image of someone that's not totally dialed in. That's uh, that's actually a really good theory, Brian. Look at you. <laughs> I spent so I, you know I preface all this with like shadow people are not something that they scare me, but there's something that are really fascinating because there are a lot of different theories to them, right? So I mean, the first one, of course, was the trick of light, but this one, the interdimensional beings thing, is something that I've given a lot of thought to, just to, in terms of the way in which we cohabitate space, and um, you know, I, so that leads me to like, so if if interdimensional beings is my second theory, then two A would be. Are these beings religious in nature? Are they demons? Are they ghosts? Are these people that have died and come back to visit us for whatever reason, are they objectively good or bad? Right? So kind of like going down the rabbit hole of uh, beings uh, that may inhabit the same space, but not exactly uh, the same dimension that we're in, you know, is, is there a religious attachment to them? This brings up a good point because I recently watched a documentary about shadow people and sleep paralysis altogether called The Nightmare. Uh, it's, it's been in my queue for ages. And then in preparation for this episode, I said, you know what, I should really watch it because it's about sleep paralysis and shadow people. Perfect. And several of the people they interviewed actually said that becoming religious made the shadow people go away. Huh. How about that? That's interesting. It is. Um, one of them specifically, she was not religious at all. She wasn't a Christian. She started um, invoking the name of Jesus, and the shadow people stopped. And then she became religious, and she hasn't seen them since, which I'm not sure how that works, especially if you're not a person of faith, and then all of a sudden you get faith, and that kind of 
flicks a switch in your brain to stop seeing these things or the total opposite of that not being uh, based in science and being based in fate uh, and faith, not fate, um, that they are malevolent beings that are frightened by religion of some kind. That's a really interesting thing. I, I hadn't even, you know, I hadn't seen this documentary. Do you remember Peter Popoff, the uh, the miracle water guy? Yes, Peter. Yeah, <laughs> he knows what he's. Yeah, that with the voice in his in his head that uh, yeah. James Randi completely, like he he totally destroyed that guy, which is one of the best things James Randi has done because that guy's a total fraud. So speaking of that, I was watching one of his specials maybe 15 years ago, and in it, and I'm not I'm not equating the subjects of your documentary to this at all, but there was a woman who said, you know, I started believing, I started investing in this miracle water, I uh, stopped doing crack cocaine, and I also stopped seeing the ghosts in my house. So not trying to draw an equivalency, but just saying that perhaps the idea of uh, making peace with whatever's in your mind through uh, a religious context may help uh, your sanity out. I wonder if his uh, his water has any relation to the raw water that's taking over and uh, sweeping the nation. <laughs> uh, is that why did you have to reveal plans for next episode, Angelo, of our our new marketing gimmick? Yeah, that's our first sponsor is raw water. Here, drink some sewage. In the show notes below, we've included a link to an article by Nick Redfern on the website mysteriousuniverse.org. And Angelo, here's so 2A was are they religious in nature? 2B to me is uh, sort of related but not. And the question is are the men in black another manifestation of shadow people? Uh, so the Nick Redfern article makes mention of this the notion that the Embomi are not actually G men but perhaps apparitions. Uh, and Nick Redford also make, makes mention of how certain people receive visits after playing with a Ouija board. Could it be that the shadow people and the men in black are two variations on the same sort of uh, being on different wavelengths? I like the whole hat man thing. Well, n- not like in the sense that I'd like to be visited by this uh, horrifying hat man. But um, so we've gone on record of saying we're fans of Nick Redford over here. He's a lot of fun. He he's a, he's a, He writes some interesting things about the paranormal. And he does um, like the men in black. And this is an interesting way of thinking about them because a lot of the encounters with the men in black, though, have them being corporeal, whereas the man, the hat man, isn't is more of a shadow, right? He's not a full three dimensional figure, from the way I understand it. So I think maybe the hat man is like so, where shadow people are like regular people in the shadows, be them, be it like a resonance of somebody else in the universe. Well, the hat man maybe is like a men in black of the shadow world. Right. So he holds a different stature within the, the shadow people world. And that's something that somebody mentioned in the documentary where there were different shadow people. So there were like the regular ones and then the hat man who seemed to be like their boss or supervisor, demon supervisor. <laughs> I wonder what the job application process must be like. Is like, are you tough as nails? Are you unafraid to put other shadow people in the light? You know, sort of a. Do you look good in a fedora? Yeah. <laughs> um, I find the hat man kind of interesting because he's kind of. Uh, and so this kind of th- uh, ties into my uh, third theory is that maybe this is a shared hallucination. So you're, you're kind of bringing it back to science. Uh, Something like a something that um, people say is a famous shared hallucination is the miracle of the sun in Fatima, where right. uh, everybody saw the sun do these weird dances, um, which well, I think we'll eventually cover that. But uh, I don't know if they're shared hallucinations because, from what I understand, 
in many cases, people who are being visited by shadow people, especially during um, sleep paralysis episodes, their partner or whoever is in the same room as them doesn't see the shadow people. I meant shared hallucinations as in um, different sets of people, not necessarily people inhabiting the um, the same physical space. So, oh, okay. Uh, so I'm currently reading Stephen King's The Stand, right? So we're in a lot of these main characters in the novel um, have regular dreams of the same people. So these dreams all happen to people who don't necessarily share physical space, but they all contain similar, if not the same sort of uh, content about these different people. And while that The Stand is a work of fiction, it does raise the idea of shared hallucinations or visions. Are shadow people's entities that we somehow share with each other, like some sort of faint um, brain condition almost? Oh, okay, well, and that would explain why so many people see similar things. You linked, um, and we'll put the link in the show notes from, uh, it's actually from a web archive of Arbel and uh, some pictures of shadow people. Um, people are, like, the one that seems to come up often is the hat guy. Um, but the thing is, is shadow shadows are shadows. So basically what happens is you're not, you're seeing a human form, which is what we're so used to seeing, and it, and you kind of make it all black because it, it becomes, uh, you kind of like remove the details from your from the, from your mind of it because you're not really sure what you're seeing. Although some of the drawings are pretty interesting. The number eleven kind of really looks like a, just an upset old man. I don't know if you're looking at these. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Yeah. And number four, I don't want to like laugh at somebody's uh, frightening experience, but number four sort of looked like shadow penises. Yeah, I, there's like different forms of shadow person. I don't know if that was someone just having a good laugh at Art's expense because this uh, these things were up on ArtBell.com when he yeah. he first was having these uh, shadow people episodes. Um, I have a question for you actually. So, what are the parameters for shared hallucinations, visions? You know, do we uh, have to consume the same air? Like, is it like uh, is the idea of shadow people like a pollen or a spore ingested from a faraway tree? Like, does it take flight and so and that's why some people have it and some people don't? That's interesting. Uh, I we're getting real we're getting real weird this week. Yeah, I, well, I I think it's tied more to and look, people are gonna hate this because it's so skeptical sounding, but it's it's probably tied to ba- brain chemistry. Uh, look, you've never really had sleep paralysis. I've had it multiple times, and I think it has it has something to do with that. I've never seen a shadow person that I can think of really when I had sleep paralysis. Uh, for me, it was more just the feeling of fear. Uh, and that one time I thought I saw like a UFO outside the window, but um, that was kind of weird. But I never, never saw any sort of entities that I could think of because I would have freaked out. Uh, but I can understand how these seem so real to people. And one of the interesting things also that came from that documentary is that in almost every case, they refuse to believe it was sleep paralysis. They're like, no, I can't be that. So like they get it's up, too simple of an explanation. Yeah, it's like there's no way it could be that. It has to be something else. I don't believe that it's sleep paralysis. And it's like kind of not wanting to admit that there might be something, although not necessarily super serious, but there's something medically wrong there and that certain things will solve. Like for me, um, eating better and exercise kind of solved it for me. I haven't had, a, like I said, a sleep paralysis episode in years. So a healthy lifestyle keeps the shadow people away. Yes, good good idea. That's a good <laughs> mantra to follow. All right, so let's I want to go down the rabbit hole with you for a bit if that's okay. I, even more so than what we've been doing so far. Please. Are you ready for this? Yes. All right. 
Um, so there are a lot of suggestions out there that the ingestion of psychoactive substances allow these beings to enter your worldview, right? So like the idea of popping a few shrooms and perhaps one of these side tricks you're making while high will be dealing with shadow people. So a lot of people who've uh, taken in different substances have said that they've had encounters with shadow people, both good and bad. Well, one of the articles we read, um, which I'll post in the show notes from North Atlantic blog, talks about a PS1 game called LSD, LSD Dream Emulator. And there's a gray man in that game, which is kind of like um, the real life, well, real life, but the reports of the hat man. And it's kind of interesting that you say it could be tied into uh, mind altering substances because this is um, about about a game about LSD, sort of. Um, actually, tying it back to something earlier, another coincidence, Wormwood is about MKUltra, which is about giving people lsd and they don't know about it so perfect you've kind of already gone where i want to go where the idea is um are shadow people a controlled government experiment huh like you know like unfortunately these people have unwillingly taken part in something that they can't control um it's very much out there for me it's not something that i i wholeheartedly believe in but it is something uh to think about because you know uh the stories involving a lot of the shadow people, including the hat man, are very numerous, as you've indicated with a lot of the links um, that we've included in the show notes. Uh, the fact that a lot of these people can describe the hat man without ever, uh, without ever having heard of him in another context before is kind of interesting because it, it's kind of like this weird shared experience, right? And sometimes you do have these weird shared hallucinations due to psychoactive substances or uh, you know other things, either through subliminal messaging or, or some other form of grooming, right? So maybe... Um, there is a government angle to it, though I highly doubt it because the uh, phenomenon of shadow people is so widespread that it'd be hard to control. It would be really hard to make sure that the same people got the same dose of what they're giving people, but it's not unprecedented for the government to do weird things. Uh, when we say the government, I guess we mean the American government, but any no, we, we mean really. the secret. We mean the secret NWO, the shadow government, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Richard C. Hoagland's famous shadow government. Yeah, you had the, you uh, recently had a run-in with uh, Richard Hoagland, didn't you? Well, not with uh, at. <laughs> I, I listened to his show uh, once in a while. It's 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 a sad state of affairs, and uh, the words "deep state" are uh, arriving at an alarmingly high rate in all of these different um, sort of fringe shows. I guess between him and then uh, today, Alex Jones was like tweeting out about Steven Seagal versus the deep state. So uh, make of that what you will. I think if you want to talk about government experimentation, that's a great place to start. With Alex Jones? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he'll sell you his powders. Maybe it's his stupid powders that are giving people uh, nightmares. Well, I mean, he did start making his millions. Well, not millions, but a good chunk of change with the disaster preparedness stuff, you know, right before Y2K. So, hey, you know, it's a continuing legacy of hawking items while uh, selling or giving the truth out for free. It is kind of weird that somebody like alex jones is so followed and people think they they connect to them but there's something i want to come back to can you can you like define what this deep state is i've again another documentary on netflix there's a documentary on netflix called deep state i haven't watched it yet but can you kind of put into context what that is uh yeah sure i mean uh so the deep state is generally characterized as a bunch of people uh, typically people in positions of power who actually um, are involved in the secret 
control of uh, public policy. So the idea of like there's a government for show and then the deep state's the actual government in charge of making the decisions. And usually that deep state is uh, very tiny in comparison to the actual number of elected representatives. Okay, so it's it is really like the NWO. Yeah, it's it's like a cabal, like okay. a cabal of people deciding what to do. Oh, like uh, like in the first couple of seasons of The Blacklist. I don't know if you watched that. We've talked about it before, I think, where you don't watch it. And you said it was like really violent. And the more ever since you've said that, I've noticed how violent that show actually is. Yeah, James Spader, watch out. I like James Spader. He's great on that show. He was not so good in The Office, but we won't talk about that. But yeah, the idea of the wait, deep state. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't like Robert California? No. Come on. Huge misfire. Huge misfire on the part of the show. You find? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we're going to dedicate a whole episode to talking about this. If you want to go ahead and tweet at us uh, about how you feel about Robert California, double underscore density, go ahead. Come at us, bros and ladies. I really didn't mind him. Maybe I was really, like, I binge watched The Office. I did not watch it when it was originally on. So maybe that made it easier for me. But I didn't have any trouble with him. I didn't care for him. I didn't, I didn't think it was a good addition to the cast. And I was glad to see him go. Jeez. I know. I know. I have a lot of thoughts about The Office. But that's not the place to talk about things like that, is it? No, I guess not. <laughs> um, so sort of a follow-up question, I guess. You know, um, in a lot of descriptions about seeing shadow people, it's often only one of the five senses, which is the sense of, of seeing or vision. So I wondered, you know, what do you think shadow people smell like? You know, what do they feel like when you're close enough to touch them? There's actually very little info out there on shadow people apart from their appearance. There are some reports of feeling a sense of touch from a shadow person, but... It's a wide variety of touches from hot to cold. So there's no really definitive kind of uh, idea of when a shadow person touches you that X will happen, right? So I wonder what they would feel like. And if we could approach them and finally attach some sort of properties to their being, like what do they smell like? Well, smell is actually the one of the best senses for memory. Uh, so it would be interesting if people would um, smell something and it would conjure up these memories of these shadow people. In The Nightmare, again, that documentary, a few of them kind of described it as feeling like electrical impulses, uh, like almost shocked. But uh, there wasn't much talk about smells at all or, or anything to do with touch. One would think if they're demonic, you'd smell brimstone. Yeah, exactly. Like if they're tied into some kind of religious property, then you have some kind of like a, uh, like our demon smell, like a sulfuric smell almost too, right? Exactly. Uh, or... Is it the Amityville Horror? So obviously it's not real because the Amityville Horror was a hoax. But is it that where they would smell roses? That's a good question. I don't remember that off the top of my head, but it does It does sound plausible. I remember reading something about ghosts. If anybody knows what I'm thinking of, where um, somebody was haunted and they kept smelling roses before the ghost would appear, um, please let us know. So I've included a link to an article called Haunting Phenomena, the Smell of Ghosts. It's a good starting point uh, for when we discuss the smell of shadow people. The article outlines the idea of uh, quote-unquote familiar smells, like smells that once belonged to a loved one, such as a favorite perfume. There are unfortunate smells, and those are usually attached to a demonic apparition, so like the aforementioned sulfur. Um, gross smells that are attached to the appearance of demons, right? So the idea of uh, uh, so if something negative is coming your way, you're going to smell some kind of negative smell attached to it, right? So the idea of, uh, you know, a, a demon coming at you smelling like Axe body spray. <laughs> well, there's uh, there's one in that uh, article talking about uh, Titanic perfume, and there was uh, they kept smelling the cologne of somebody, um, but he was, uh, but nobody else was there. Uh, so it was kind of odd. Maybe it was like uh, 20 uh, 
1912 body uh, axe body spray for Titanic. <laughs> Wouldn't it be weird if a shadow person smelled like something like candy or marshmallows? Like just something kind of vaguely pleasant that you're kind of into? Well, that, that would mean they're like good, right? Things that smell good are good for you. What if they're trying to trap you, though? Oh, like like uh, something out of Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, exactly. Like one of those uh, uh, old school tales we were talking about uh, on our Christmas episode of reading horror stories uh, like around the Christmas campfire. Yeah, that's uh, the smell of marshmallows. My kids love marshmallows. So uh, if any ghost wants to attract my children, they just need to smell like marshmallows. <laughs> I love the idea that you're throwing that out there into the world to see what will happen. You're you're baiting people to come and haunt your kids. You realize that, right? I hope not. Maybe this summer when we have another backyard barbecue special, uh, we'll have uh, some uh, marshmallows to roast while we bar- oh, we don't barbecue while we podcast. What we could do too is I have a Ouija board tucked away somewhere. We can bring it out and then we could start asking the spirits what they smell like or what they'd prefer to smell like. Yeah, Ouija boards really freak people out. And that's something else I was reading about how people would use Ouija boards and then they'd start seeing these shadow people. So again, it's being tied into the afterlife and religion and the occult. So I'm I'm not quite sure what to think about what people are seeing when they see shadow people. Again, I tend to lean towards science, so I'm very um, interested in thinking that it has to do with sleep paralysis. There's an article, an old article, I guess, now from 2006 that I, I came across. Because I, uh, in researching these things, uh, I think I've mentioned it, but I do research online through uh, my library at work at the university, and I can get, I have access to scholarly articles, and there's one from Nature, they were able to induce uh, shadow people by stimulating certain parts of a person's brain, which is kind of interesting. So it kind of shows that stimuli to the brain can cause people to see a shadow person. Well, it leads back to the idea of a hallucination, really. Because that, I'm coming back to that. I'm thinking more that they're just hallucinations. But the people who have seen them swear up and down that they're not. And I don't like to not believe people if they seem sincere. And most people... Especially the people in that um, documentary seemed really sincere, uh, albeit a few were kind of weird, uh, but most of them, if not all of them, did seem sincere. It's kind of really interesting. So if we take things on a 180, just sort of like a final tangent I wanted to take you on, um, maybe, and I'd love to see uh, some research on this, and I don't know if it's out there. I've, I've kind of rudimentarily done some, uh, but haven't been able to find anything. But what if shadow people are tied to physical spaces? Like a haunting? Yeah, almost, yeah. But the idea of like unfinished business or trying to contact you in order to help them wrap things up so they can get going. So like a different category of ghost. Yeah, almost like the idea of like a a fully formed ghost versus uh, an outline, which is a shadow person. Like, what does that mean, really? A ghost in training. (laughs) It could very well be a ghost in training or a ghost who's almost done their training but and that's why their look is fainter because they're uh, soon to exit but they're not yet done so like what we see as a shadow person people in the ghost realm basically see as a tag on their chest that says hi i'm jeff and i'm a ghost in training right or i'm about to depart with the, if you want to look at it the other way yeah and it's funny that i use the name jeff it just popped in my head but that's the ghost of that rob uh, says call them over that time and if you want to hear that story with Rob and Jeff, you can head over to doubledensity.net. It's episode 24, and I do believe it's two-thirds of the way in. Uh, Rob gets into the story of uh, dealing with a ghost uh, who won't leave him alone. 
really fascinating. And so see, somebody like Rob, I trust. So that's the thing. That's in doing this podcast, my skeptical brain is getting like uh, mashed because I'm talking to all these people that um, I feel are really intelligent and sincere and know what they're talking about. So it's hard for me to say, nah, you just saw like uh, a hallucination, your brain's playing tricks on you. I don't know. It could be anything. I like to say, I don't know when I don't know. And I don't know this time. Well, that's, I think that's a good way of seeing things, right? Because if you were falling definitively one way or the other, I definitely question how you're assessing a lot of this evidence and a lot of the uh, reading that we've actually uh, done uh, concerning this. It could be owls. <laughs> uh, I guess it could be, are, you know, are owls totems of oh, shadow people? Maybe. They're, they're familiars. I mean, we can endlessly go down this, this kind of rabbit hole. I mean, like the question is, you know, are shadow people tricks of the light? Are they interdimensional beings? Are they ghosts or demons? Are they shared hallucinations? Are they part of a secret government program? You know, like <laughs> I, just, I don't think they're the secret government program, but that's an interesting theory. We can always just go down the, the rabbit hole with this too, I think. And I think uh, this has been done a lot on uh, Coast to Coast. I'm sure you have a few in your archives where you can go back and listen to people talking about shadow people. And, and that's uh, the thing is that they, for every like uh, caller that calls in, it kind of gets, uh, the story kind of expands, right? So really, the more you listen to people's testimony about shadow people, the less there's a uniform image of what shadow people are, why they appear, how they appear. Yeah. And so like, I think, you know, reading that article from nature, I definitely do think that somehow the brain flips the on switch for this sort of phenomena. And I think that's the most logical explanation. The question, though, is how does that switch get flipped? Uh, it could be a fear response because if it's happening during a sleep paralysis episode, I can't say of a time that a person is more afraid. It's extraordinarily frightening. So, um, you know, you're lying in your bed where you feel you're safe and then all of a sudden you can't move, you feel things around you. And the fear response there could be causing you to see things that aren't necessarily there, but to maybe get you moving or going, uh, to make you think that there's danger around, even though there isn't necessarily danger around. Sort of like a f um, how we were when we were like uh, cavemen and we wanted to make sure that we weren't dying. So like we'd kind of think there was like a tiger instead of like a bush. I, I know I'm massacring that whole analogy, but I'm sure you've heard it before. <laughs> uh, so the next logical question for me is how do you lure a shadow person out of the darkness or do you want to lure a shadow person like uh, so, so if you maybe it's like an exorcism or something uh, would you use milk like Santa, <laughs> Santa milk and cookies place uh, your firstborn on a table my first two top ones um, and the first one is contingent on uh, it not being an episode of sleep paralysis but I feel like waving I think waving is a universal sign universal sign of a greeting so if you wave at a shadow person maybe they'll step into the light and say hi now when you say wave do you mean wave like the queen and like hello or wave them over like come over here oh wave them over definitely okay so not waving like hello wave coming come over yeah, invite them into your space. But then again, like if you invite them into your space, is it like when a vampire knocks uh, at your door and you allow them in, then they are allowed to step in? Yeah, and any, you're making me think of the black-eyed kids now, which is a whole other topic altogether, which is, I guess, tangentially re related to shadow people. 
But yeah, I, Black Eyed Kids creep me out a little bit more than Shadow People, I think, because they're a little more well-defined. Any creepy children are the worst. <laughs> Is that a, a mantra you repeat yourself day in, day out? Look, I don't think there's any scarier scene in a movie than the two little girls from The Shining. Okay, that's that's fair. That's up there with some of the scariest stuff in the world because it's not it's not violent, it's not gory, it's just super creepy. I don't know. I saw this, uh, there was a scene from this documentary, um, what was it called? Uh, oh yeah, Extraordinary, the Stan Romanek story where he shows a video of an alien in his window and that is scary as heck. He also sees shadow people and creepy bug-eyed kids that claim to be his. I feel like we're just using it as a punching bag, unfortunately, and I, I think deserves we deserves it. it. <laughs> but we, I think we need to put that to rest in 2018. Like, there are bigger and better targets to to use. Okay, so no more Stan Romanek in 2018. No, I mean we're going to say that in the next week. We're going to trot him out, so baby. But yeah, so <laughs> but black eyed kids are the ones. I think they need to be invited in your home as well. Shadow people don't seem to need the invite. They just kind of crash your party. Yeah, that's totally it. So apart from waving, my second thing is food. Nothing like feeding a shadow person to reveal them. I mean, I, that's tied into your idea of milk with Santa Claus. Does it have to be a shadow of food, though? Uh, what do you mean? So you'll so like let's say I, I mentioned milk and cookies. So you put milk and cookies on the counter, but then you put a spotlight on them so that there's like a, a really well-defined shadow so that they can eat the shadow of the cookies, not the actual oh, cookies interesting. themselves. It almost sounds like a, a bit from uh, Disney's Fantasia. Oh, maybe. Something like that, yeah. That's an interesting thing. I don't know. Uh, do you want to try it out? No. You don't leave rotting milk out? No, no okay. I, I don't want to. I don't want. Look, again, I don't think shadow people are a real thing, but if they are, I do not want them in my home. Another a sort of, a sort of a associated point to that. If the shadow person is lactose intolerant and you give them milk, <laughs> they'll just be real angry with you. And then need to use your shadow bathroom. <laughs> yeah exactly and then you invite more shadow people into more of your space and that's not something that you necessarily want to do and then that brings us back to what do shadow people smell like <laughs> they smell like anger and like uh, and farts yeah lactose yeah, intolerant <laughs> farts i feel like this has been a nancy drew mystery resolved i think so i think that's a good place to to end this episode so this has been episode 39 of the double density podcast tune in next week as we discover the joys of our favorite ufo cookie recipes as always if you want to join us on the internet double density.net head on over to listen to all of our newest episodes click on the blog link for our latest articles and if you want to contact us or see our mugs you can definitely do that there too we're on twitter double underscore density facebook.com slash double density podcasts and same thing on instagram Angelo, until next week, stay alert, stay safe, watch out for shadow people, don't do anything dumb, don't feed them milk, you know, uh, don't take shrooms, I guess, would be like a big thing for you, because I know how much you love taking shrooms. You're making them sound like mogwais, don't feed them after midnight, don't get them wet, don't feed them shrooms. There we go, there's a whole list here of things that you, you shouldn't do to bring the shadow people into your life. I'll do my best to go to bed and just shut my eyes and fall asleep right away. Perfect. I guess I'll see you uh, same bat time, same bat place next week. See you, Brian. See you. Bye. Hi, Shadow People. Bye. Everything needs to be perfect, Brian. Totally.